трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome to the Russian Football News Podcast. This is the first post-Euros podcast. We've all been down the doctors uh, prescribed with antidepressants since then. So that's why we've been a bit of a while. We've been coming to terms with the early exit of the Russian national team, which we will, of course, touch upon today. But as pre-season has now officially started for our clubs, we're going to be looking more domestically and looking at the club sides. I've got three guests with me this week, so that's a, a great pleasure as always. I've got Andrew Flint, based in Tumian. Hello, Thomas. Thanks for having me back. No problem. And we've got David Sanson. I think you're Hello. in Berkshire, right? I am in Berkshire. Lovely. And we've got the editor of the website, Toka Thelade in Denmark. Hey, Thomas, how are you? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Okay, so, like I said, Slutsky is gone. Russia out the Euros. Who do we think... What, well, what do we think of that decision for a start? I think, I think this is going to be a pretty obvious answer, but your assessments of Slutsky's time, not just the Euros, because obviously that's quite disastrous, but look at that beforehand as well. It did quite well. Is that as the bad the Euros left a really bad patch on what wasn't too bad a rain, Andrew? Unfortunately, I think it's it's coloured people's view of of Slutsky. But it, it, like you say, it was a it's an easy question to answer. It was the right decision. Um, he he did he did the bare minimum of what he was brought in to do. He did rescue a good campaign. Um, I mean, we've touched on it before that the the qualifying opponents left in the group were, were not the were not the strongest, but he still did the job. I think the problems he he faced in the Euros, I think part of them he brought on himself. Um, some of the decisions and the setups were, were wrong, but I think a, a larger part of the problems were a deeper set with the mindset of a lot of the players and and the the quality of the players coming through. So it was the right thing to. The right thing to do, unfortunately. So um, it's a case of get someone in who can have two years to, to build towards the World Cup now. And Toka, um, just because we've sort of covered that point, I can guess your answer to Slutsky. Who would your preferences be for the next? And where should the RFU, the Russian Football Union, the equivalent of the FA, uh, who, who should they be looking at? And what sort of candidate, what character should we be looking at here? That, that's a really good question. To me, it seems that they have two kind of candidates. They have the Russian candidates, and then I don't know how serious it is, but we keep seeing rumors of foreigners also being linked with the jobs. The guys like Manuel Pellegrini, and we had Gus Hitting also saying that, that he wanted the job. But I think I think the only serious candidates for the jobs are Berdyev, Semen, and also Stanislav Chatushov. And I think they will go for one of these. They're all kind of old-school Soviet coaches with... Um, who demand a lot of authority and respect from the players. And I think when we see a new national team coach, it, it will be one of those three. Yeah, David, Tucker mentions the foreigners there with Pellegrini and Hiddink. Russia have gone down that road before and it's failed badly. Why go down it again? Yeah, well, exactly that. Why why go down that again? I mean, I'm of the opinion that the, the coach should be of the same nationality is the team he's managing on the international level at least um so yeah i think definitely the three guys tokyo mentioned uh, would be a, a, the uh, top candidates i'd be interested to see how they would work at that level with uh, the defense aging and disappearing and the uh, 
slightly weaker attack nowadays. Uh, I don't know if it would suit his style, but it would certainly be interesting to see him tested there. Um, we mentioned Berdiev. I'm just going to remind you all that Berdiev isn't actually Russian. He's Soviet, but he's not Russian. So it's... I mean, Andrew, how do you think the Russian public would react? I mean, say... Ber I, I can't see it personally, but say Berdiev did come in. Do you hmm. think they'd sort of buy that? Well, he's, he's earned a lot of respect for a quite brilliant record. Um, I mean, mostly at Rubin. Um, David's been watching him closely there, of course. And then this, this season with Rostov. But I, I think... I don't think the formula would work into, at the international level because what he's what he seems to do is have his his trusted players who he brings in and he's brought in. I mean, Cesar Navas has been fantastic in Rostov's defence. Um, whether it would work internationally, I'm not so sure because it would. It, two years is it sounds a long time, but it's not really a long enough time to fully build completely from your own image of the team. You know, bring through the the players you want to, unless they're already there. Um, so, in terms, of would they would they accept him? I think they probably would, simply because of his of his record. But I I wonder whether it would start to become a bit of a problem. The actual style that he likes to play. Personally, I don't see it as a. If I was a Rostov fan, I wouldn't complain at the style because you know you say defensive, but he he gets results, he gets respect, and I think the respect part of things is a hugely important thing in an international management level. Um, so, I think he would be accepted, um, although I don't think he would be the best candidate overall. Um, I think Cherchishov perhaps would be a better fit. That's my personal view. I think I, I heard think one of your children uh, keen for an appearance on the Russian Football News podcast there. Yes, yes, if it um, disagrees with me intensely, she's a big Berdiev fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, when you mentioned about Berdiev and the defensive football, uh, something came to my mind that... I remember Tony Mowbray at West Brom, for example, played very entertaining football, got relegated. So, it's again, it's that choice. Personally, I'd say winning football is entertaining football, no matter how you do it. Now, Toka, who is your first choice candidate from a from a personal point of view um first of all i'd like to address something david said i think it's unfair to say that the foreign coaches have been unsuccessful in russia you, maybe fabio capello but let her not forget that 2008 was the best campaign in the country's history and that was with a foreign coach but um, so, sorry to, sorry to interrupt you there Tucker, but i'm just going to say the players of that generation you yes, expect okay. that do you know what i mean of course, but back then was still most of the players were still based in the Russian league. Of course, they went to bigger challenges, but also in 2012, I know Russia didn't qualify from the group, but still that first 4-1 victory against was it the Czech Republic in the in the opening game. That was one of the best games I've seen in with the Russian national team in the last six years. But but anyway. Um, I think the time has passed for Russia to to build an interesting, good national team. We all hope when they got the the World Cup awarded that okay, now we have a couple of years and we can build a strong team with a lot of good attacking players and kind of copy the success from 2008. But as Andrew said, now we only have two years and we can't. We, there's no time to develop new great players. So. I think Russia needs to find a coach who can deliver some results with limited resources. And to do that, I, I'd say that Berdyev is probably the best choice because 
you, we, we can't have a coach who wants to play entertaining football and wants to control the team, uh, the opponents, because the team is simply not good enough for that. So, and as you said, we need someone who can who can win games, and I, I believe Badiev is is the man to do that. Yeah, I just want to put a point out there. We talk about how when Russia was awarded the World Cup, that we thought there'd be a big progression there. But I'm going back to the German example, when they sort of made their plan for this big dynasty that was 10 years over 10 years before they they won the world cup in 2014 so really the argument that i'm putting forward is that 2010 when the world cup was awarded to russia was actually too late to build a team for 2018 would anyone go along with that i'm not i'm not saying russia should build a team that could win the world cup but still i'd say but with six six years you should be able to to build something and what, what worries me is that we're not even seeing the structural changes that is needed for the Russian football to really develop. Um, so, of course, I, I don't think anyone ever expected Russia to win the World Cup, maybe with the exception of Mutko or, or Vladimir Putin. But I, I, I still say that nothing has really changed ever since they received the World Cup other than some stadiums being built. And that's, that's the worrying part. And even those stadiums aren't being built properly. But, um, David, I want to come to you on Cherchesov, former, former Dynamo coach, now at Legia Warsaw, won the Polish league there. Seem To me, seems a bit of an odd choice, but perhaps it's good to get that, underdog's the wrong word, but the, the lesser name, perhaps a bit lower expectations. I think he's only been linked really just because he left Legia at the end of the season. I think that's the only reason he's a Russian coach who is now off the back of a good season and is a free agent, essentially. I think that's the only reason he's being linked well, or per, on a personal level. And everyone thought Slutsky would work, and it did work in the, you know, in the latter parts of the groups of the qualification and the friendlies. You know, There's a lot of good performances, but I think when it came to it, he was very narrow-minded with his squad. Um, and even in the qualifiers, you know, he, was pick, he wasn't picking any... He wasn't experimenting too much. Um, so I can't see Churchill as really being a serious option. You know, he's been linked with clubs in Austria and Germany, I think. So I think he'll end up just staying in club football for now. Um, but I, I, I echo T- uh, Toka completely about going with the, um, going with Berdiev. I think his man management of getting the best out of players is top-notch. You know, look at what he's done with players like Kudryashov and Margasov and Erokin and you know all these all these Russian players who have just dwindled in the bottom half of the Premier League or the second division, and you know he's he's made them into silver medal winners in the Russian Premier League. I think he could get that to happen in the national team as well with players who, you know, who have only got one or two caps but really have the ability to play at a higher level if they can manage properly. Yeah, I just obviously we're talking about Slutsky. I want to sort of revert this back to club football. Is Slutsky's reputation? Now at Siskar, of course, will his reputation be damaged by the Euros? Does anyone think, or because he's done so well at Siskar, we can the fans will forget about the summer just gone? Or do you think that will play on their mind a bit that he looked a bit? I don't like saying managers are out of their depth because I think it's a bit cliche, but you know what I'm getting at here, Andrew? Yeah, I I think um, I think his reputation is safe with Siskar fans because um, it was almost it was almost like a free pass. He was brought in at such late notice, and he, like I say, he did the at least the bare minimum of expect by expectations, but uh, wishes of the RFU in in qualifying. Um, and at club level domestically, 
his record is is fantastic. Um, I think his lack of adventure um, has partly been because he's not had to be too adventurous domestically. He's had the spine for such a long time, especially defensively, of course, as we know. Um, but I think the real test of his reputation among CSKA fans will be when uh, Beritsuskis and Ignashevich um, really must be replaced. And I don't think it will be long before we see that. Within the next couple of years, I think, well, age-wise, you'd imagine fairly soon, when they go or when their effectiveness goes, that's when I think we'll really see the test of his reputation among CSKA fans. But for now, I don't see it being damaged by it because it was like an added bonus. They added an international manager to their their, their club manager's record. Um, so, no, I, I don't see it being a problem for him domestically. Okay, well, that's sort of fair enough, I suppose. One name I want to put out there, and I mentioned to to you guys before we started recording this, was Sergei Semak, of course, assistant at Zenit under AVB, also assistant with the um, the Russian national team. Now, I'm going to go back to Germany. We saw Yogi Löw take over from Jürgen Klinsmann, coming up from the assistant manager role, young coach, and look what he's... Uh, obviously, they've got excellent players and there's a lot of groundwork done, but perhaps the idea of Semak coming in building a dynasty around him might be a better idea because we've always complained in Russian football that there's too much short-termism. There's always just, oh, fix it for the next year, fix it for the next year, and then it just goes wrong because you can't just do short-term fixes like that, especially in international football. So for my mind, Semak, if you build a dynasty around him, could work out properly. What would anyone say to that one? I think he's one for the future, personally. But but the future's now, David. Do you see what I'm saying? (laughs) No, well, when I think of Poland and Switzerland uh, and Germany, have all hosted the big tournaments in recent years, and now all, they've all, you know, gone on. Poland have just lost in the quarterfinals, and Switzerland qualified out of the groups in the in the Euros. They've all kicked on after they've hosted these tournaments. So I wonder if after the World Cup, you know, two or three years after that, at the next Euros, maybe that will be the stage where Semak might be in a position to take over, and we'll have a new breed of young players coming through who are ready to take Russia to a higher level. I don't know if that's if it's at that stage now when he well essentially he'll just be managing his peers because there are a lot of older older players in squad who he may even played have played against or with uh, when he was still playing at club level. So I don't know if that's if that's something I would do. But then maybe his peers would respect him more than a senior manager. It's hard to get on the mindset when you're not an international player yourself, I suppose. And Toka, would you by the point about Semak now, just because there's no point going for the World Cup in two years and stuttering for that two years, and then after that World Cup, we've seen it with England, trying to build for the next tournament all the time, using it as an excuse. You should start now. Yeah, of course, and and you know I love long-term thinking, but I don't think putting a completely inexperienced Senate assistant coach in charge of the national team is the right thing to do. Can I just? I mean, sorry, I don't mean I, don't, I hate interrupting, but I, I've done. I've, no, I've done it twice on this podcast now. But it hasn't gone right before with the experience. So no, no, could go no, worse. No, that's true. But I, I think, I mean, Semak was a great captain on club level and on the national team. But the only thing he he really has in his advantage right now is that he's young, and then you can use the excuse in your building for the future. I don't think he has shown us anything that um, should grant him the job as national team coach. I mean, he had what did he three games in charge of Senate uh, between Spalletti and Villas Boas, and that that's basically it. I still think it's 
it's way too early for him to be considered for the national team job and I'm still not I, I still don't know anything about him as a coach other than the player seems to like him as an assistant but there's a huge difference between that and then coaching the national team at a at, especially at a world cup at, at the home stage yeah I think everyone's just going to disagree with me but Andrew I'm going to try and make you fight my corner <laughs> because he's come into the the Russian squad on the backroom staff surely he's quite highly rated by the RFU also I'm just going to mention that when AVB was suspended for a few games he did come in and manage Zenit for a bit there obviously generally managed by Vias in the background but the actual touchline guidance was by Semek there's certainly there's certainly some reason to to promote the idea of, of Semek um, for, for the reasons you mentioned I do think there's there's some merit in that um, because I mean I'd say at this stage we're getting like I said before, I think critically close to any manager having enough time to have an effect. Because what you've got to remember as well is that there won't be any serious competitive football for another two years, whereas all the other teams will have you know, their attention focused by the qualifiers. Um, I, I don't really include the Confederations Cup as a serious competitive environment, although that's effectively the last chance. So the manager who comes in, as far as I'm concerned, he must already command respect. Now, I, I think he, I think Semek does for the reasons we mentioned, but um, yeah, I, I certainly think having him as at the very least a prominent voice in in the decision making process, because you know there there has to be some continuity, and you'd imagine he would stay in the national team setup um, in his position that he is in now, um, if he if he has not made the full coach, of course, and so I. I mean, if he was appointed, there could be worse people that could be appointed. Um, but I think I, I kind of have to side with Toka and David on this one, Thomas. I'm sorry, I don't mean to, don't mean to bully you, but um, I certainly think a prominent place on the setup, um, and that would be a very valuable role. I do, it shouldn't be underestimated how valuable that role could be, like the go-between between players and potentially older, more experienced, more forceful coach. Especially perhaps. a foreign manager as well, if they come in. Well, it's, exactly, yeah. Um, personally, on the whole foreigner or, or Russian coach matter, I, I, I'm i not actually that bothered either way. I think in the end it will be a Russian coach, just the, the whole mood of the foreigners' restrictions in the country is leaning that way anyway. But I, I personally wouldn't mind, but I think Samet could have a very crucial role. I don't think it's downplaying it to say as assistant manager. Okay, so just before we move on to the club section, because I, I want to get into that with it being pre-season and everything, from all three of you, can I just have your preferred candidate and just a quick justification why? I'll come to you first, David. Fair uh, Just because I think he would be able to make the best out of what Russia currently has. Okay, sort so short and sweet that's what we like Toka yeah I have to say the same Russia don't have a lot of time and they need someone who can deliver results with um, with a short notice really and Andrew finally uh, Bird is the obvious obvious choice and the other option I would look at is is hitting um, but realistically I don't think it will happen but Bird the safest choice I think the most obvious choice um, so Berdiev followed by Hiddink would be my two. 
you've sat on the fence, and not for the first time on this podcast, I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, fair deal, then, fair deal. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to stand by Semak, and I'm just going to leave it at that. So I want to move on to... When... Say again? It's going to backfire when Semak is actually picked, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And we'll... <laughs> Well, the thing is, we won't be able to judge him for two years anyway because of what, what Andrew was saying about the competitive football. So, really, we won't, we won't be able to tell whether we're right until, what, August 2018? So, we'll, well got a bit of a long wait. Uh, won't they play every... So, France were essentially drawn in a group and then they played every game... They played every team in that group twice, home and away, just to replicate the, uh, the yeah, game. Yeah, but Ra- Russia are not doing that. Russia were kicked. Russia were kicked out of the qualification group after Kosovo was included in the UEFA and FIFA. So at the moment, Russia have no uh, friendly arrangements at all because they're not going to play in the like the, the, the friendly qualification group. So it is quite a stressful time, really. It's good times for Russian football, isn't it? Um, okay, <laughs> let's move on to domestic matters. The big news come out in the last week or so is that Hulk has left Zenit St. Petersburg, and he's gone to China. Uh, don't ask me to pronounce the name. I just know it. it's in Shanghai, I think. Is that right? Yeah. S-I-P-G, no? Yeah, I knew it's S-P-G. I, I didn't want to shame myself with my lack of Chinese language knowledge. Um, anyway, so the fee is around 55 million euros, so Zenit have made a nice profit on that, really. Um, well, Toka, I'm going to come to you first. Inevitable, really. Hulk cleaving. S- and I wouldn't say it was... I, I wasn't sure it was going to happen, actually. I mean, he did extend his contract recently. But I think selling him now makes a lot of sense. He, he is the best player in Russia by far, of course. But as you said, Sinan make a great a great profit on, on selling him. And he is turning 30 later this summer. So I think they definitely made the right choice by selling him, even though it is, of course, a huge loss for them. Yeah, David, Toka mentions, mentions the contract that was signed last year. Um, did that put any sort of chance of him moving to another European league out of the question? Because he just would have, the price would have been too much for anybody to pay. Yeah, I imagine so. I don't think anyone was going to pay what the uh, Chinese club would pay plus his wages. I mean, he's on astronomical wages, isn't he? Wasn't, I think, 300, I think I saw 320 grand a week or something. Yeah, that's like what he's on in China, Europe. yeah. I mean, no, no European club is going to pay that, not even Man City or PSG, not for a 29-year-old. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think it was just to put a few more million on the uh, on the sale of that contract, really. Yeah, I know this is the Chinese football news podcast or whatever, but I saw it. Odia Nogalo has been subject to a £37 million bid from China, the Watford striker. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, Andrew, Hulk leaving... Does that weaken the appeal of the RPL in that the best player, are the one that probably catches quite a few South American viewers? I'd love to see some South American, like the viewing figures of the Russian Premier League from there. Obviously, the time difference makes it is a bit of a factor. But does that really weaken the appeal of the RPL now? I, I'll be honest, I, I think it does ever so slightly. Um, I, I think it was a mistake of Zenit to sell Hulk, if I'm being honest, because he's just so overwhelmingly influential. I just don't think there is anybody else they could bring in who has the same aura as him. He's but coming in and he's this... So, yeah. so how'd you turn down that kind of money, though? You, you... 
Well, uh, yeah, okay. I mean, the, the money's good, but if I'm being honest, I would have, I would more readily have sold Vitzel, for example, than than Hulk. I'm not saying Vitzel's not a great player, but I would feel more comfortable replacing him than the the sheer. It's the aura of Hulk that that you that you have or that you're buying or selling. Um, I, I, in terms of the appeal of the of the league, keeping Hulk for this long, I think probably surprised one or two people in Western Europe. Um, but I mean, it's 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 a shame to see him go. For for me, as a general fan of the, the Russian football in general, but but also for um, well, especially for Zanit. Well, how about you, Thomas? What do you think um, as a Zanit man? Well, I was going to come to your point about the Western European thing. There was a lot of journalisms who don't quite see, what, see the appeal of the Russian Premier League. I know that's very niche, but still where they were saying, oh, you know, Hulk will be on his way soon. But actually, when you read the press in Russia and you read Hulk's interviews and you saw things about contracts and his situation, I knew he wasn't going to be moving to Western Europe anytime soon. Personally, I think probably good business getting that money. 29, no Champions League next year. So obviously a lot of uh, income reduced. Going to move on to Witzel, of course. He looks like he's on the way out. Obviously a big loss to the team, but... Um, Obviously, it's not great to lose star players, but there'll be other players who will come in. But, like I said, Toka, surely this really weak... I mean, you wrote that great piece about how Hulk had improved his game with his assists and everything. This really weakens the Zenit team now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Hulk was was amazing this season. I, I looked at his stats before we started recording this, and he had 17 goals and 16 assists in the league, I believe, and four goals and four assists in the, in the Champions League. And I don't think Senat will will ever fight. I don't think we'll ever see a player that dominant in in the Russian league again because Hulk, he was he was absolutely amazing and he was on a level superior to 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 the Russian Premier League and I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but of course he was also from a price price range where we don't usually see Russian clubs. I mean him and and also Witzel, of course. They were very expensive, and they were from a time before financial fair play. And now things are, are simply different from from Senate. They have to to work within this UEFA budget, and therefore also selling Hulk for these several million uh, euros simply just it's just good big business, and it's it's one of those offers you, you can't refuse. Yeah, I mean, David, we've mentioned the price of Hulk and everything. Does this give hope to other RPL clubs that perhaps don't think they're going to get the money that they deserve for their players because they know China might come in? I mean, I know the, the appeal of RPL players isn't great, but there, if there's a couple of superstars in there that Western Europe pay less for, do you think it's good for the RPL that China can come in and trump and bring some money in? Definitely. I mean, when you think of how most of the, well, a lot of the RPL clubs are struggling financially, then it's it's something that I think all Russian clubs will be hoping for they might be able to flog their players out there. I'm sure Zenit, and well, I'm sure there are agents who are touting the players around in China to try and sell them on. I've heard that Lombets is actually linked to, to the move to China as well, actually. So it's certainly one to uh, to try and boost the coffers if if they can keep it going. Uh, that sort of trade link between the countries. I know there are a lot of players who go to China from other countries who may bail there. And I mean, we had Olinari who came to CSK on loan. Uh, from China last, uh, for the second half of last season, and he did quite well, really. Uh, so maybe it's the start of a, you know, a transfer link between the countries where Russia will pick up players 
from China when they're on their off-season. I mean, I mentioned there that it's good for Russia because China can come in and get the money in. But the question to you, Andrew, is that will China see Russia as an opportunity to get bigger players at a less price? Although money doesn't really seem an issue, to be honest. Well, it's certainly certainly an opportunity for them, I guess. Um, but I don't think they will be looking to take advantage of the fact that a lot of Russian clubs have have low budgets and therefore can be um, held to ransom. I don't think they'll they'll take advantage in that way. Um, although, you know, perhaps we haven't seen the last of their their raid through through Russian football. There may there may be more this summer. I think the fact that we're seeing Witzel, Lomberts, and Holt obviously already gone, being linked with moves away. Um, I'm sure by now they've picked up the the depth of, or at least on some level, the depth of the significance of the foreigners' ruling and therefore will be aware that a lot of foreigners will be themselves looking to get away uh, and as some clubs will be looking to offload them. Um, so perhaps they will come back for more. But I don't think it will be... Um, focused on Russia because of the, the general weak finances of many clubs. But um, I, I don't think we've seen the last of Chinese clubs buying from Russia. And Toka, we've mentioned it lots of time, the Witzel transfer. I'm just, just for the purpose of the listeners, Witzel seems to have been linked with every club in Europe. Just off the top of my head, I've got Man United, Chelsea, Southampton, Everton, Juventus, Napoli and Real Madrid. Where's Witzel going? I haven't seen the Real Madrid rumor, but that's certainly inter- interesting. I'm pretty certain he'll end up in uh, in England because that seems like the only place who can actually afford him. He did he did speak highly of Italy the other day, but I I don't think any Italian clubs can afford him. Maybe Juventus if they really if if they really want him, they they can of course. But I don't think the rumors of Napoli or Inter is, or, or or Milan for that sake. I don't think any of them are, are really that serious. I'm I think he'll end up in Everton. I've heard Stoke as well, just for the record. That was one I forgot to mention there. But Yeah, Stoke, Stoke tried to get him in, in January. Yeah, and they got, um, is it Imbula instead, the midfielder? I think they went a higher price, actually. I think the bid in January was 16 million. So, David, like I said, bid in January 16 million, it's probably going to be less now. And for a player they paid a lot of money for, there's going to be a big loss on Witzel. Is this a bit of oversight that they didn't, sell him earlier perhaps or, or well, even try and get him a massive contract like they did with Hulk well, I don't know how long he's left on Whistle's contract just a year just a year just one year well it'll be interesting to see that then I think he's he's uh, they'll have bumped the figure up based on his performances at the Euros I think he did quite well there um, he scored he put himself in the shop window a bit more um, and I don't know it's, it's going to be hard to judge uh, on how much they'll be able to get for him, because what do they pay? They paid 30, 35 million pounds or yeah, something right. along those lines. I mean, yeah, I don't. They're not going to get that money back. I think that was the time where Zenit had a lot of money, and they they were basically the China of Russia, uh, just buying every player they could from Portugal, essentially. Um, so yeah, I think I think he'll end up going for you know between twenty and twenty five million euros uh, in the end. Uh, that I can't even with a year left. Um, just purely because of how much money is in the Premier League at the moment. You know, you've got teams like Crystal Palace and West Ham making thirty million pound bids for players. So if they can if they can afford that then can afford wits or for that much, it's it's gonna be like a almost like a drop in the ocean really. Yeah, pretty pretty much. But Andrew, we've said how Hulk has 
We've seen, we said that Zen are basically a one-man team with Hulk because of just his performances. And they're the reason they didn't slip out the top four this season, really, and miss out on European football completely. Now, Witzel, his influence can't be underestimated in that Zenit side over the last few seasons. He, he's, he has been magnificent. Um, and, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I said earlier he'd be easier to replace than Hulk. Well, that was only in comparison to the sheer importance of Hulk himself. It, it would be it would be difficult, and it would I think it would change the the dynamic of Zenit's midfield because there are some decent there are some decent players that um, that are around. I, I'm a big fan of Mauricio as, as a passer, um, but he, he doesn't have the same physical presence um, as Witzel. So how much that will affect uh, Luchescu's uh, setup, I, I don't know. But it will be it'll be interesting to see if they try and replace him like for like. Um, or whether they settle with the squad they have, so um, it will be it will be a big loss. Um, but I mean, I don't think this should be a positive, but it will be that it will help satisfy the foreigners' restriction. So if they if Ritzel does go and Holt goes and Lombards goes, there's probably still room to bring in another foreigner. So it it might mean there are enough possibilities to get someone, if not of the same quality, of sufficient for RPL. Um, as a replacement, so it will be a big loss. But um, I'm curious to see what Luchescu's, um purchasing power will be like. Yeah, it's a okay. shame because cool. I think Zenit have the money and probably will buy a replacement for Whistle, but they could easily do it in house. You know, as you mentioned, you've got Mauricio, uh, Javi Garcia, and Yusupov as sort of the three first teamers. Should he go, but then they're bringing back Mogilevets from his two great loans, you know, he, he played one for loan in Rostov last year, you know, young midfielder who really should be given a chance at one of the top teams. And, you know, it'd be nice to see that happen, but I think with all the money they're going to bring in, they will buy a like-for-like replacement. I don't know who that will be, but I think it's inevitable, really. I also think the pressure's too much to get back into the Champions League next season for them to try young players from their point of view. I'm with you, David. I, I'd love to see yeah, yeah. Mugilevets coming through, but that pressure to get in the Champions League now, Toko, we've mentioned Lombards a few times. Zenit's defence last season was pretty terrible, and Lombards was arguably the most solid of the three centre-halves, if you count Garay and Luis Neto, who is somehow still at Zenit. So, obviously part of that UEFA Cup-winning side back in 2008 as well. So, big loss for Zenit if Lombards goes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a good defender, and he, he's solid, you know what you get from him. But I think it's also clear that he, he is getting old. Um, and I think last year when Garay was out, we had some games with Lombards and Luis Neto in the central defense. And it was pretty clear that, that none of them really had the presence needed to, to lead a team like Senate defensively. I think it's also interesting that the rumors of Pichitos keeps keeps emerging. And I think he could also leave the club this season. So they will, they will really need to bring in, if not one, two, three defenders. And Luchesco, there's a huge pressure of him starting to rebuild the team. A lot of the old players, the the players Spalletti counted on in the end, and the players, especially with his bowers, counted on. So Many of them are on the way out, and the team is getting quite old. So it, it's time to start rebuilding and start bringing in some, old, so, some younger players who can also build for the future. And I think that's also what's interesting about this um, 
Hulk's departure is that I have a maybe too optimistic and romantic uh, hope of Senate trying to change the whole business model instead of buying already established and fully developed players like um, like Xavi Garcia who joined them two years ago now. I hope they, they will start bringing in some younger players and players they can develop for, for smaller fees and, and smaller salaries and then sell them on at, uh, for profit, a bit like Shakhtar have done and CSK are doing. So simply they can become more of a selling club instead of a club where a player go and he earns the he gets the contract of his life until it runs out or he is miraculously sold to China for a ridiculous fee and I hope I hope Senate will start doing things differently now. Did we perhaps see a bit of that last season with Mauricio? Yeah, you could say that Mauricio coming on a, on a free transfer, I believe, and and, and also. I know Kukurin and, and Yuri Shurkov are fully developed players, but they also came on, on quite cheap uh, transfer fees. And I, I think that's that's definitely a good sign. I know we, we have already talked a lot about Kukurin, and I think our opinions of him are... I think everybody knows what we think of him, but, but at least signing him on a free, on a, a almost free transfer, is it, it, that is also some good business. And... I don't think he'll move to to Europe any anytime soon, but but still, I think that's that's the kind of deal Sinisko should start looking for instead of always looking for the most expensive asset on the on the market. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with you, and personally, I think that's a good way to go. But like I was saying to David, I think the pressure on Champions League qualification is too much this season, and just I think there's so much pressure on Champions League nowadays that re- that's sort of killed youth development for for a certain amount of time at least. Andrew, yeah, got, of got, course, got. but yeah, I, I'm not saying that they should be the kind of team who only use their own homegrown talents, and I don't think, I mean, for example, if we're looking at, at Shakhtar or, or CSK um, as, as comparison, it's not like they're bringing in obscure players that you that are uh, simply gambles. I mean, you, you, you get these well-scouted players from Brazil, Argentina, or Portugal, or wherever you you find them, uh, a guy like Lombard, for example, also a, a good example when he came in in two thousand seven. Um, but but simply you you just look at a, at a shelf lower down, so you don't look for these really expensive players like Hulk, where you have to compete with the half of Europe. But you just look at, at younger players who are still good players. You still have to find the top Brazilian players or players who have performed well in in smaller leagues, but you will just, and maybe they'll even spend the same amount of money. They'll just spend them on on more players instead of going big on on just a few. Yeah, Andrew, Toka mentions Luchescu there and Shakhtar. Of course, Luchescu now at Zenit was at Shakhtar for so many years. Do you think he sh- he will bring that model to Zenit, or do you think that Zenit's board will perhaps pressurize him into making the big signings? Well, I mean, at um, at Shakhtar they have. Or had and have the most most phenomenal um, setup of bringing through and selling on um, well virtually entirely Brazilians as far as I can tell. Um, I don't think it's going to happen the same way um, because well for largely reasons that, that that Toka mentioned. I think it's more likely he will want to and probably be encouraged to make at least one big signing. Because you can't you can't lose Hulk and Witzel without 
replacing them with somebody of, of note. But personally, I think I think it's a good a good way to go. Blend the two. Get one or two big names, um, but don't entirely rely on it. I would look at players like, for example, Yemelianov uh, Ural. I think he's just a holding midfielder, um, and he could do a, he could do a brilliant job. And obviously, he is Russian, therefore the whole foreigners will is satisfied. Um, but looking more carefully within Russia and at the more less obvious um, uh, transfer targets. I think that's the way to go. So do we see Luchescu building a new style next season ba on the play side as well? Not just transfers, but of course, bringing them into the team? Well, uh, to be honest with you, I don't, I think he's experienced enough to realise he's coming in as a, a person who's his first job in Russia, obviously, and he'll be conscious of not rocking the boat too much. I mean, this is likely to be his last, uh, or possibly his last ever job, but certainly his last major job. You'd imagine that was he seventy years old now. Um, I, I mean, it's, there's not much point him coming in and completely ripping everything up. Um, I mean, as far as I understand, he's a very uh, combustible character. But I mean, what's the point in him going out um, under a whole cloud of of acrimony by? going against what the board, what the club want. So I don't think he's going to rip it up completely. Um, he realises he's already got a, a very close to a championship winning squad. Um, he needs to fix the defence, bring in one or two players. He doesn't need to rip it up. So I don't think he will. So just before we move on to the next topic, which I know David is excited about, because we're going to talk about Ruben Kazan, because there's an interesting development happening there. So next season with Zenit, do we envisage a good season Champions League qualification again or will these outgoings really rock them too early to tell I think we need to see how they're going to be how they're going to deal with the rest of the transfer window uh, but just purely by looking at Hulk it's going to be more difficult no matter who comes in just purely because of how much he contributes it would be like if Spartak lost Conti Promise you know they would lose so much of their play and, you know, they've got players like Chasov and Crocker in at the club already, but I don't know how much they're really going to be able to step up. And so, yeah, it's, it's just going to all swing on how they can how, how they can operate in the transfer window, I think. It's, it's too early to say. And Toka, can you get your crystal ball out on this one? Yeah, I think losing Hulk and possibly also all these other players we have talked about and getting a new coach as well, uh, as well I think they'll need a transition period and I would be surprised to to see them win the league this season. I think finishing second, going to the Champions League, that, that that's the most important thing for them because CSK, they it doesn't look like they will much will happen there this season. They will continue being strong and then we also have Krasnodar and Spartak and Lokomotiv, all these other clubs who will also aim to improve the squad. So I think Senate Going to the Champions League, finishing second—that is—that sh that is a success in itself. Although, of course, you'll never never hear them say that. No, of course not. <laughs> but we'll see. Now, like I mentioned, we're going to come on to Rubin now. Of course, last season they had a bit of a disaster. They were in the Europa League. I'm sure Liverpool fans who listen to this will remember that. And but actually, they finished terribly in the Russian Premier League. I don't know whether the Europa League had a knock-on effect on their league form, but from winning the league. A couple of years ago, of course, under Berdiev, things have just gone completely wrong. I don't know what. Well, David, 
what's that down to? Uh, well, it's it's a strange one, you know. Birdie of the year, he was sacked. You know, he was having a terrible season. I think he was sacked at the point where Ruben was sat around twelfth in the league or something, come the halfway stage. So it was it wasn't like he was still performing well at that point. You know, it was at a stage where fans were considering whether we needed a change, and you know, some fans were still disappointed when he was gone. They wanted him just to wipe. They basically wanted to wipe the slate clean so they could start again next season. Uh, then you know you had Billy Anetsinov come in and he somehow gave us one amazing season where we we came up to fifth place and thanks to Dino we qualified through the uh, Europa League and we had a pretty good run in the Europa League you know we made, we made the group stages we held our own you know uh, with the draw at Anfield and we came third in the group which is not terrible considering how bad our league form was going at the same time. Um, but yeah, this season I don't I don't know what happened. You know, the, it was the same squad essentially as the team that finished fifth, and for some reason they just couldn't pull out the performances. And it was only a matter of time before Billion as went, and the manager who came in knew he was coming. He was just stepping up from the assistant role. Uh, he knew he was just a stopgap. Uh, we had Georgie Hadji talks in the winter transfer window, but that never materialised, and uh, and now we have. The new guy, Javi uh, uh, Gracio, came from Malaga. Yeah, I wanted to uh, come on to... Go on, sorry. Were you gonna... uh, no, yeah, go ahead, go no, ahead. I was going to say, Gracio seems quite a good move for Ruben, really. Are, are fans quite positive about this? Yeah, I mean, they like what they've seen so far. You know, his interviews, He's he's been well and his work ethic, you know, he, he arrived in Kazan two weeks early to start working with the coaches. Uh, he's already started to learn Russian. He communicates in Russian... You know, in bits and bobs with the press and with the players, he's vocal in Russian and through his uh, interpreter in Spanish as well. Um, so they they like what his work ethic and how he's come into the club. Uh, obviously, this is now a sort of hopefully a turning point for the club um, in terms of finances and how the club is operating with the new stadium and the new president who joined in January. Uh, everything seems to be on the up, so it's a, an ex- it's an exciting time to be a Rubin fan, I think. Yeah, Toko, I'm going to come to you on this now, now that we've had the Rubin expert to, get <laughs> to enlighten us about it. But we've seen quite a lot of players come from Western Europe uh, under Grazia, so that's quite a good sign for Rubin. Yeah, I mean, I think it's looking very interesting. They have made some, some good signings, all pretty young players with them. Um, with room for development and also players who can be sold on to bigger clubs later if, if they perform very well. So, But I think while we have seen these interesting players come from Western Europe, I think the most interesting signing they've made so far is, is uh, the signing of locomotive youngster uh, Shima Letinov, who performed incredible last season when he when he played in the last few games, scored some amazing goals and was quickly called the new wonder kid of Russian football. I think signing him is is showing that the intentions of Rum Kazan is actually to build a, a strong team that can compete at the at the top again within not too many years. So I think it, things are looking very very interesting at the moment. Now I hate to put a negative spin on things, but you talked about building the team, but Andrew. Surely there will be some outgoings. For example, MVF we've seen at Sunderland in the Premier League this season. A couple of others as well. 
that that doesn't help things. Well, I actually, yeah, I mean, it, it will be it'll be difficult to uh, to replace Envio's quality, but you know, he he was on he was away last season on loan. Um, Mavinga. Well, I mean, exactly. I actually think because of that, it won't be quite as um, difficult to transition. And I'm certain he will go simply because I think he probably wants to leave and also because it'll free up a hell of a lot of wages. He, I'm, I'm imagining Mvia was um, was on was certainly one of the highest, if not the highest earners at the club. And I mean, in, I'm looking at the, the squad now. There's a lot of really, it's a really young squad. A lot of the, well, uh, there are certainly plenty of young players in the spine of the team, Crocvelia, for example, I think he's he's um, what's he only 24, 25. Um, I mean, he looks a really promising uh, youngster. Catunio's doing well, and um, Barrow. I don't know much about him. There's Moritz Barrow. He's um, he's 24, I believe. Um, which I think is a really good way to go. Add Jimalitin off into the mix, and you know, replace Mvia and Mavinga for these players. I think it's it's the best way to go. So I, I'd be pretty if I was a Rubin fan right now. I take it you meant pretty satisfied because satisfied the line cut out for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I'm satisfied, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. perfect. Um, David, we've seen quite a few fees splashed around by Ruben. I mean, we've seen figures are about three million for a couple of players now. Obviously, to outside listeners, that doesn't sound like much, but outside of the big clubs in Russia, those are actually quite big fees. So where has this money come from? Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. I mean... Up until last January, Ruben had gone on basically a two-year spree of not spending any money, um, just picking up players on loan or free, just because there was no money coming into the club. And obviously, we had these expensive players on high wages, like Avila, who's on 100000 a week. Uh, and while he was at Sunderland, we were still paying around 70% of that. Um, so yeah, we, we were having a lot of outgoing, and we had no money coming in, basically. But the new president who joined in, I think it was December, January, uh, he's the mayor of Kazan, and he has ties with all the big sponsors. And he's managed, basically, I think he alone has managed to garner a lot of uh, sponsorship and you know donations and income for the club, uh, plus the uh, Europa League run last year, which I'm sure garnered some, some good funding as well, uh, which has allowed us to, to spend again in the market. You know, just after the first half of last season, uh, we were able to spend four million in the January transfer window uh, to bring in three or four players, which we needed, and they, some of them adapted, and some of them haven't. And uh, yeah, no, so far this window we've we've probably spent uh, we well three players confirmed. I think we've spent uh, around seven million. Uh, and based on the rumours so far, there's going to be at least another five to six million spent in the next couple of weeks, I think, as well. Um, so it's a very exciting time. As you mentioned, you know, we've got all these players like Mvila, Mavinga, Livaya. Uh, there could be, you know, as many as 20 players who could leave the club this summer just purely because they're not needed. Um, you know, I think there's a list of 25 players who have travelled to Austria, but there is still another 18 to 20 players who are on the books for the club but aren't in Austria and still in Kazan training back there just to keep fitness while uh, the club looks to secure a move away. Uh, the strangest one, in fact, Andrew mentioned, Coutinho, uh, he's not travelled to Austria. And uh, the word I've got is that the club are trying to sell him. Uh, I'm not sure whether that's, that's out of choice or whether because there's a big club interested. But uh, I, was I was shocked to hear that because he's 
performed very well. He's a versatile young defender and he did really well in Russia since joining. Um, so I'm hoping it's just that bigger club's kind of coming for him. Just a quick but, question to yeah. you, David, sorry. Um, Asmoon, we saw him do well at Rostov last season, won a RFN award, young player, I believe it was. What What do you think is going to happen to him? Very interesting situation. I I was... Well, this, the whole squad regrouped um, 20th of June, and I was anticipating that very highly to see who was going to turn up. Because obviously we had all these players returning from there, and I wasn't expecting players like Lilo to show, because they'll just be focusing on getting a move to wherever they... You know, Sunderland or wherever else. Um, but as Moon showed up first day, and uh, based on what he didn't show last summer when he was forced trying to force a move away, so the fact that he showed up was uh, it was a turn up. I was I was very surprised by that. And uh, he trained with the squad for about five six days, and then disappeared again. Uh, and the post on the, he posted on Instagram a picture of him shaking hands with the president of Tatarstan, uh, saying something on the lines of "I wish I could stay, but." This is football, or something like that. And now he's back in Iran while uh, he tries to force a move back to Rostov. Whether Rostov couldn't afford him is another question. Uh, he has the only one year left on his contract. So, if and I know that Ruben have offered him a new contract, but if he doesn't want to stay, then I'm sure the club will have to try and sell because otherwise they'll lose this young player on a free when really they could get you know between five to ten million euros for him. I don't think Rostov can afford that personally. Um, if they can, I'm 100% sure he'll go there if they can afford it, just because of the relationship he has with Berdia. Otherwise, I think he'll end up somewhere in Europe. I, I can't see him staying now. Now that he's gone AWOL again, I, I think his time at Rubin is over, I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, as we know... I would love him to stay. Sorry. Um, a lot of listeners should really keep an eye out for Asmoon because he's a very highly rated prospect. Hopefully he stays in Russia. That would be really good. Now, Toka, I mean, I mentioned Ruben's title win a few years ago in their sort of disastrous last season, really. Is this, I mean, is it a bit too premature to say this is a return to the good times? I mean, it, it certainly looks like it, but I think it's also the, the perfect example of how unpredictable Russian football really is. I mean, we saw Tatarstan getting a new president, suddenly Ruben uh, Kassam's budget was cut, and now the same same thing happened, and they suddenly are able to spend a lot of money on new players because they ha uh, the region have a president who likes football and who wants to spend money on developing Ruben Kassam, so... It's it's definitely not sustainable at all. I mean, what happens the next time we see Tatarstan get a new president and perhaps he doesn't want to spend money on football, then we could see Rumi Kassam have to sell all the best players again and the the club fall to the middle or to the bottom of Russian football. So it's it really shows the the roller coaster ride of these um uh, uh, yeah uh, clubs owned and controlled by the. By the by, the state. So, I mean, it's it's difficult to predict because a lot of a lot of it depends on who's in control of the club really and how much money they're re willing to spend on Ruben Kazan. Well, it's an interesting time for the city. You know, um, most Russians, I think, or most Kazan people, believe Kazan is the third city of Russia. Um, you know, they hosted the World Swimming Championships, and it's seen, and they want to develop the picture that. Ruben is a capital of culture and sport and a young and upcoming city. And I think that's why the uh, the government have now turned to the club 
know, who have got this brand new stadium, who will be hosting the World Cup soon, to sort of have them as a first port of call for anyone who looks at Russian football. They want Rubin to be on that stage again. So I think that's why the investment has gone up so so dramatically. Yeah, Andrew, I was going to come to you, but basically David Sorry. answered the question that I, <laughs> I was going to ask you. But I'm going to have your opinion on no. it anyway. And the fact that Toga mentions that if a new president comes along, then you know the budget mm. could go down. But surely if the club does well, I mean, next season is really important because if the club doesn't do well next season after this investment, then a next president or even this president might think, well, is it worth me putting all this money in? It, it is one of the biggest risks um, in Russian football, admittedly. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It's um, it's it's difficult to see. I, I follow lower league footballs, uh, as you know. And my, my local club, Tumen, um, have had the same... You've got Tumen on a podcast again. Well done. I had to. You know, come on, you know. I mean, Dave, David's had his, his, his soapbox. You've got yours as well. So I've got to have a bit of Tumen. But, um, but no, seriously, I mean, it's, it's almost magnified the effect um, at a lower level. I, our club president um, has been has been the same president for oh, I don't know, it's about ten years now I think and he runs the mini football club as well, um, but the regional government who fund the team cut the budget in half two years ago uh, a year ago so um, I mean it's just it completely changes where the club can go um, I mean the the prestige of the club. As David mentioned, you know, the, the reputation of Kazan as a, as a go-to city for transfers, for culture, for whoever's coming to Russia is important. But it's it's how much patience they've got to actually make this happen. Um, and I, I don't want to see I don't want to see Rubin go too much further with spending too much on transfer fees, because it would make me think that they're throwing the president's throwing too much money at it. And I don't think he's doing that. I think he's doing He's being sensible so far. So um, I, I hope he has the patience to to see it through properly. Um, and it, it looks like that's the way he's going with the signings he's making, with the age of the, the signings he's made as well. So I, I'm, I'm pretty confident this will be uh, this will be a good good season for Rubin. Um, they, they deserve it. Yeah, I mean, Toko, it's interesting what David says about the the city and sort of bringing it up. So does that has he convinced you? Is what I'm trying to say that it could actually turn out quite well. I hope it turns out well, and I think we'll probably see some good years for for Rubin. What I'm saying is just we we don't know what will happen in the future because the whole foundation is very very fragile, and especially considering football is probably the most expensive way of getting exposure at all. I mean. If, if they spend, say, 10 million euros this summer on players, nothing is certain for them. They, they might they will still only be this, maybe at best the fifth best team in Russia. But what, for example, what did it cost to, to host the whole um, water um, world championship? I mean, you can probably get the exposure you get through football much cheaper if you invest in other kind of culture or other sports like I mean, for example, they always say that uh, sponsoring a team that goes to the Tour de France is the cheapest way of getting exposure in sports at all. And it, it is just, it's, it's problematic with football because the whole foundation is very fragile and it, it is difficult to think long term when you don't really know the future of the club and the whole, the sponsorship income is very low and the income from 
merchandise sale and tickets and all that is also very low as we have talked about so many times before so I think I, I'm optimistic at the moment but I just want to make sure it's just important to note that things can change really fast in, in Russian football and then I guess that's also a bit of the of the charm of it yeah just one final point before we go I wanted to make to you David is we've talked about the city and sort of how a club gets quite big and I'm thinking of Kuban Krasnodar now I know they've got Krasnodar in Krasnodar as well but could that serve as a warning to Rubin um, yeah certainly I mean obviously I'm being optimistic I, I can't say for sure how it's going to turn out I'm hoping it's going to turn out going to turn out well obviously um, but you know we've come off a, a bad season it's it's going to have to take some something to really change it and they you know they are trying to make wholesale changes you know we've got a new manager for starters more new coaches uh three new players so far i'm told we're getting another six to seven more players will join during the summer so you know it's going to be a complete rehaul of the squad basically and well just the whole you know the whole area around the team so it's uh it's a big risk but if if it works and the money they put into it you know uh, the manager on a big contract as well, you know, it's it's a big risk, but if it pays off, then it will be worth it. But if it doesn't, you know, we'll see how Krasner, how Kuban do next year. Yeah, um, since we've been talking about Rubin, David, I know you've put a piece up on the site recently, which is very interesting reading. Do you just want to sort of explain to the listeners in a few uh, in a few words what it's about? Um, yeah, I mean, it was a. I firstly started looking at what how what went wrong last season for Rubin. Uh, we are lucky enough to have data from Instat, who collect all the statistics from the Russian Premier League. Um, I was I used that to analyse sort of where we went wrong and where we can improve for next season, and then that led on to Javi Gracia coming in and what he can do with the squad and the early rumblings of new signings coming in. Uh, so it's just an overview of basically what Javi Gracia has to work with and what he's done so far to resurrect the club from the ashes, essentially. Okay, perfect. So everybody should check that out on Russian Football News. There's also a good piece which I'm going to plug here by Alan Moore about development of uh, youth players in Russia, which is absolutely fascinating to have a read of. But I think that really brings us to the ed- end of the podcast, unfortunately. So I'd like to thank the three guests again, Andrew, David and Toka. Um, keep following the website, RussianFootballNews.com. We're Russian Football News at Facebook. Give us a like at Russ Football News on Twitter. But also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast because our listenership has increased recently. So we're really thankful to everyone for listening to the podcast. And we, we hope you br- we bring a, a good insight onto a league that isn't really given that much attention and the attention it deserves. So, like I said, thank you for listening. Do subscribe, rate it and everything. And we will see you on the next podcast. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч.